It's time for the Hadit.com radio show. Hadit.com radio is an in-depth look at all things VA. If you need help with the VA, log on to Hadit.com. Now, here's your host, Gerald Cook. Thank you for that intro there, John. And uh, I'd like to welcome everyone today. Uh, we're here with Bob Walsh. Uh, He's a uh, a veteran's attorney. He'll represent you there if you have a case with the VA. You need some expert help. He's the one to get hold of. And uh, our co-host today will be Jay Basser and stretcher technician who just got out of the hospital with a stroke. We're glad to see him back, that's for sure. Uh, he he beat him again there at the VA, so he's back home there and on the job. So we're glad to see that. And uh, how are you doing today, Bob? Well, pretty good. We're uh, knee deep in snow up here in Michigan, and it's cold. But but uh, I guess that's most of the country. We're having a real winter this winter. Well, let's. Uh, Let's hope it burns off pretty quick. But anyway, uh, what about these Lexus books? Uh, you was mentioning them, uh, those to me the other day. And uh, it sounds like they'd be uh, worth getting your hands on. Yeah, the uh, the 2013 edition just came out. Um, they, they run... Uh, they usually come out in the fall. They were a little bit late getting shipped out this year. Now, what they do, uh, I'll tell you the story of it, National Veterans Legal Services uh, uh, Program uh, that did, you know, the Agent Orange, the Nemer case and all that, those guys had written up a book, and it was in two volumes. It was about the size of a, of a phone book, two phone books. It's a great big book. And... Uh, they kind of printed it there in-house. And they wanted to get a publisher to do it because, you know, their business is taking care of homeless veterans and doing VA cases and not they didn't want to be a book publisher. So they went and they talked, I guess they talked to uh, to West, and West has all the 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 veterans' law reports, you know, the, the book that comes out every few months with all of the veterans' cases in it there's there's about been about one a year there's volumes of it now and they also have military law and all kinds of stuff that they publish so they said hey will you guys publish this you know because it would fit right in with your other stuff and they said no we're we don't want to so then they went to lexus nexus which is another legal publisher and they said you know we know you won't sell many of these books and it might be a loss for you and they said, we know that, but we're willing to do it. We're going to do it. And so Nexus went and they, they printed these books. Now, what they did, they pulled all of the federal laws, rules, and regulations that have to do with veterans. And there's some, not all Title 38 and 38 CFR, there's some Title 10 and some other stuff. And they put it all in one soft book. And then... They've got the Veterans Benefits Manual in another softback book. Now, the uh, the rules and the regulations 
is uh, is pretty cheap. It's only $65 this year. The Veterans Benefits Manual is 150 And then the, uh, the, there's a, the CD-ROM. There's a CD-ROM, and it's the best thing, really, because it has the M21MR manual, all the fast letters, and it also has the... Uh, uh, it also has the uh, physician's guide in there that the doctors are supposed to follow. So if you've got a CMP exam and you're looking at it and you want to figure out if they did it right, you can go right in there and look at uh, uh, what the doctor was supposed to do and then compare it to yours, which usually is not the same. So they sell a bundle, and they don't have the price on, on that in here, uh, but they sell all three at a pre- like three hundred dollars or something. It's a real, real good discount if you buy all three. And I tell people that you know buy the books one time and then just buy the CD every year and update it. And they've got a toll-free number. It's eight hundred five three three one six three seven. And the product code on the CD is three seven five eight eight. And they're available now. Mine just came in a couple weeks ago, so they they were late shipping this year. But they're available now. And um, anybody that's up to their neck in a fight with the VA, they they need to get this book. And what the Veterans Benefits Manual does is uh, they walk you right through it. Uh, They've got sample letters in there, and it's all indexed. And in the back, there's all the cases, and, and it's footnoted, and and they tell you, you know, here's the here's the statute, here's the regulation, here's the cases that are about that problem. Here's it, and they they really lay it all out for you. So uh, even though you may have hired an attorney, even though you may have the service officer working for you, uh, it's still your case. And I find that the families that have been involved in this and stay involved in it do the best. That's my comment on that. Now. Your little promotion for me was great, but I am 65, and I don't want to. You know, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be around forever. Um, there's two good places to look for veterans attorneys. The National Organization of Veterans Advocates on their website, they have got a directory of uh, attorneys around the country. And remember, the Nova members are the. They are the guys and gals who have been around since day one of this court and uh, do this work so they're good that's that's your best source if if you're if you're talking to an attorney you might want to ask them hey are you a nova member and if they if they say no say well geez you know yeah you you drive stock cars but you don't you don't drive for nascar so who are you you know and then the other place that you can find a larger directory is at the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims court website, and it says practitioners, and you just go down, and and you can sort practitioners by state, or you can sort the whole country. And remember, when you're at the court, everything's done electronically anyway, and it doesn't matter. You can you know you can have an attorney in Washington D.C. or you can have an attorney in in California. It doesn't matter because everything's done over the computer. The reason you might want to have local counsel 
is because if you're going to get into having hearings and, and working down below at the regional office again and working with the board, you know, you want to have them close by so they can come into hearings and things. And you might want to meet with them, you know. So there's enough attorneys out there now. There's, there's probably about 2,000 scattered around the country so that every state has, I think, has at least one uh, attorney that's working at the court and some have a bunch, and there's certainly more than there were, you know, 10 years ago. There just weren't very many. There was only, I think it was only about, about 200 NOVA members 10 years ago. So there haven't been a lot of fraternities around that would do this, and, and that used to be, there was a time when there, was, there were some states that didn't have anybody that was uh, had their shingle out to do this work, but that's kind of changing now. I think you can find people around. So, But it's just like picking any attorney, picking somebody to do your roof or fix your car you want to ask around you want to check them out and you want to talk to them and make sure that you're going to get along with them and you'll be able to to work so that's that now one more thing i want to mention that that leads up into this roberts thing is this notice for proposed rulemaking that the va put up and this is real important november 27th the VA put out another in their series of notices proposed rulemaking for in the Federal Register for review of the regulation rewrite. And these were the regulations about collections, and these were the regulations about, uh, uh, about fraud, benefits fraud. And they just don't get it. They're continuing to work in their own little magic land, their little glass bubble, VA land, where they live. And it's kind of like when I was a kid, you know, they had the Superman comics and they had Bizarro World, where the world was square and a red light meant go, you know, everything was backwards. Well, that's kind of the VA. That's the way we, we deal with them. So in this notice for proposed rulemaking, they cite the Roberts case several times, except it's pretty obvious to me that the guy that or gal who wrote it or the team that wrote it doesn't know anything about the Roberts case, never read it, and don't understand. And fundamentally, folks, if anybody told you that Roberts lost in the Veterans Court, that's not true. It was a split decision. He lost on one issue, and he was remanded on the other. And he has a hearing coming up on the 3rd of February in Washington at the BVA on the remanded half of the case. So this idea that that uh, you know that that you should be citing the Roberts case as a really good idea and as great law, yeah, I I don't agree with. And here's the main thing on collections. We'll talk about it a little bit in the context of Roberts, but I've got a case right now. Um, some of you guys may know that when when Ronald Reagan took office in his first term, he had his uh, administrator of the VA do a top-to-bottom review of everybody's disability claims, and he, he kicked, I don't know, like 10,000 people, lots of people lost their benefits. Went back and reviewed people and took their benefits away. And these were people that had their benefits 5, 10, 20 years. And they didn't care. 
They just reduced them, terminated them. And we had a, a, a gal up here in Michigan. She went to Michigan State University. She got a naval ROTC commission, and she went on active duty. And she had some problem on active duty. We don't know what it is, but she had some, some mental problems, and, and she was in several hospitals, and finally they sent her home to her family. And she was rated, she was medically discharged from the Navy, and she was rated 100% service-connected for a mental disability. And she lived in a real small town way up north, and she would just hang out with her. Uh, her mother ran the, the local bar and grill little restaurant there in town, and she would hang out, and she'd bust tables, and and she was a waitress, and, you know, she just, you know, got by. And she had her VA money coming in. She got married. And then... And I don't know when she got married, what falls in this, but in 1983, they took her comp away from her. And I can't see in the claims file where they even had her in for a CMP exam, where they even talked to her. Just, you know, one day she's got her comp, and the next day she doesn't. So then um, another client of mine uh, lives in that town, and his brother called me. And he says, we're trying to help this lady. She's she's uh, starving to death. She's living on widow pension, VA widow pension, and she doesn't have anything coming in, and she can't pay her heat bill, and she's over there. Uh, the house is a mess. She's physically uh, limited, and she's just kind of sleeping on the sofa, and, and it's just terrible. And I said, well, get her to sign a, a 22a so i can look into it so we got a 22a and and uh, i sent off and i got her claims file oh i know what it was the the va um the va pension mismanagement center uh and the debt center were after her there's ones in the twin cities and ones in milwaukee and they were chasing after her, and they said that you, she owed them $40,000. And I didn't know anything about the fact that she'd been on comp at this time. I'm just hearing about this pension overpayment. So I got a power of attorney, and I sent off and got her claims file. And somehow, miraculously, I got it pretty quick. But they had given me a few records. And then we sent off, we also sent off an SF-180. And that was the big thing. The first thing I always do in a case is send off an SF-180 because the records that a, a family has usually are, you know, they're tore up or they're bad or the coffee's been spilt on them or the cat ate the corner or whatever. But then the other thing is, you, it seems to me that every time I, I ask for records from St. Louis, I get different records. <laughs> you know, you go down there one time, you might get 89 pages, and you go down there the next time, you might get 95. And then you compare the two and find out that, that you actually got 10 more pages between the two, you know, it's it's uh, scary stuff. So I always ask, you know, for these records. And I got the records, I'm looking through there, I see this, this medical discharge and that she was essentially discharged off active duty with 100% VA. And I said, whoa, Nellie. So then I got the claims file, and sure enough, she was, she was 100% from like 1960... Three, 
64 up until 1984, 1983. That's 20 years, guys. That's that's over the 10-year limit. That's over the five-year, and it's almost 20 years. She was almost 20 years when they took her benefits away from her. And I said, well, hold the phone here. So then we looked in. I looked into the claims file, and uh, I couldn't find any where she'd been called in for an exam, where she'd even been given notice. I don't think they even had her address. I don't know what they were doing. They just took her benefits away from her. So I turned in a claim to uh, for service-connected comp for for the mental illness to restore it. And they did. Now, it might be that what happened to her is that a service officer, you know, made an election, later had made an election for pension over comp. But I don't think so. I think what happened is her comp was gone. Nobody knew about it. And when her husband died, they got her widow pension. And then she had entitled to draw both, though. Well, well, you know, listen. Let me go on here. She was getting a little bit of of Social Security, and nobody was doing those reports for her. She, you know, they'd send her those those expense reports, and she wouldn't do them because she wasn't capable of doing them, and she'd just leave them laying there. So then they assumed that she had all kinds of money coming in and she was rich so they said they put her into overpayment on her pension and so then they ran up this forty thousand dollar bill that they said she owed them back to the dawn of time and i asked for a hearing on that which they wouldn't give her Uh, i asked for waiver on that which they haven't given her and then they and then i realized that they've got two claims numbers assigned to this poor woman. They've got her C number, which is a real low C number, like a an 09 or a C10. You know, she's a before Vietnam. You know, just before Vietnam got going. And then they got her husband's uh, XC number for the widow's benefits. So I wrote a letter to the VA regional office in Detroit to the pension center and to the debt center, one letter to all three directors, and said, hey. And I said, we'll, we'll kind of do it like those, you know, those spaghetti westerns. Let's do it like that. Here's what we'll do. You give her back the million dollars you cheated her out of for compensation. And we'll meet in the middle of the bridge, and we'll give you a bag with your $40,000 in it. How's that? Does that seem like a reasonable solution? Of course, we'll have a couple shooters up on the roof. So, so far, they haven't responded to that, and they're getting ready to start taking all of her money. They're going to stop paying her her, her, uh, comp that comes in and what what happened on the comp claim is that I got her comp restored and I got a little bit of back pay. I got a couple of years of back pay. So she had some money in the bank, but she needs 24/7 nursing care to stay in her home. She needs somebody with her all the time. And the VA would only provide somebody 
in like five days a week or something. So the rest of the time, we her conservator has to pay in-home nursing aides. They got her house all cleaned up. They got it all straightened up. They got her into the doctor and you know everything. She's doing a lot better. But the thing is that 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 back pay is going away real quick, and she needs the rest of her back pay to keep to be able to stay in her home. Now she's going to be forced into a nursing home and. She's real frail, and she goes into a nursing home. She's not going to make it. So where is the rest of the comp? We have a motion in to give us back all of our comp based on a cue. What you did is contrary to law. You can't do that. Well, I haven't answered that. But they keep dogging her out about this overpayment. And we asked for a waiver, and we asked for a hearing, and now they said it's the same stupidity. And... You know, I'm just, you know, I don't even want to talk to him about about pension. I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to talk about give me my money. You know, give this woman her million dollars and, and, and let her live in peace. So that's where we, we are on that, you know. And uh, it, it's, but, but the reason I mention this is, is all of this collection stuff that's in that is in that notice for proposed rulemaking along with the fraud stuff. And these people don't get it. They do not comply with the Treasury statutes and regulations on collections. The VA does not comply. They just they just do exactly what they do over in benefits claims. Anything they want to do today. You know? Oh, this is this is Wednesday. Let me see. I'm gonna I'm gonna take somebody's benefits away, or there's a fully favorable comp and pension report here from the doctor, and I'm gonna deny the claim. You know, whatever they want to do today, that's what they do. Law doesn't mean anything. And in that notice for proposed rulemaking, they're still out. They they are they are outside of the guidance that Congress has provided for benefits fraud, for benefits debt collection. They do not mention, they talk about fraud all through this thing. It's 340 pages long, guys. They talk about fraud in there, I think I went and counted up, you know, like, like 40 or 50 times. But they never mention 38 CFR 42.1 which is the regulation where you get notice and get your hearing if there's an allegation of fraud surrounding VA benefits. Never mention it. Well, what about this? What about the rule? So that brings us up to Roberts. So there's more in the notice of proposed rulemaking. And the comment period, I think, goes through into March. So people can still take a look at that and make their comments, and they should. They really should. Uh, it's it's just pretty bizarre stuff. And I think I sent that link to you, Gerald. If I didn't, I'll send it again. I, and ask not. I think put it up on the on the website. Now let's talk about Keith Roberts. Keith Roberts was in the Navy. Uh, he was a uh, he was an aviation guy. Uh, and uh, he was in in 1969, 68. He went in in 68. And after boot camp, he was sent to Naval Air Station 
Memphis, Tennessee, for training. And there he met a guy named Gary Holland. He and Gary were in, in a lot of classes together. And then after they finished uh, their A school, they went, I think, to a safety course or something at uh, Naval Air Station Lakehurst. And then they shipped over to uh, Naval Air Facility Naples, Italy. And they they were on different flights, so they were like five days apart getting in there. They got in there in November, right around Thanksgiving time, 1968. February 4th, 1969. Geez, it's almost, you know, his hearing's going to be on February 3rd. That's interesting, isn't it? February 4th, 1969. Uh, they had a C-54. They had actually the, the ComEd fleet's uh, C-54 combined cargo passenger plane in for maintenance. A few days before, they had uh, Roberts worked in the transit line. You know, he was a tug operator and directing aircraft out on the ramp and stuff. And he had, uh, they, they had a guy named Hill who was their chief. And the maintenance guys came across the hangar and they said, we're going to, we're going to take the C-54 off jacks. And Chief Hill said, well, you know, the nose gear hadn't been drop tested. The gear hasn't been drop tested yet. And the regulations say you can't take it off jacks until until it's drop tested. Well, we're just waiting for a couple parts. We can't do that yet, but it's good. You know, we're going to, we're going to take it off jacks. So you guys take it off jacks because we're not going to do it. It would be against the rules. Contrary to regulation, stays on jacks. Well, what if there's a fire over the weekend? Uh, the jacks have wheels on them, and we can still tow it with a tug, and we'll tow it out if there's a fire in the hangar. They came back on Monday morning, and these guys had taken it off jacks over the weekend. The maintenance guys had. Now, what happened is because these guys were in their first coming to the end of their first year in the Navy, they, they, they were E3s out of school, but they had to take the E4 test. They had to take the written test, a whole big bunch of them. There about 12 of them or 20 or something. And there's only about 350 uniformed personnel at Naples. And all the maintenance work was done in this one hangar. And in the way the hangar was set up, on the one long side of the hangar were all the offices, the hooches for the maintenance people. And on the other side of the hangar, up towards the 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 front door that the the doors that led out onto the to the ramp was the transit line. They had their little shack in there, and their their little Chief Hill's office, and you know their coffee pot, and you know that's where they they did their work. Of course, they 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 received aircraft. You know, they had aircraft traffic coming in from the fleet, from the Med fleet, and everywhere. So it was a twenty four seven operation for their part of it from directing parking aircraft and everything. So they, they always had somebody on duty, uh, you know, even even on the, the mid-tour. So they're, they've got to go, there's a bunch of guys have to go take this E-4 written test in the morning of the 4th. So they, they told them, says, here's what you do. You guys go take your test, eat chow, eat early chow, and then come back here to work. Come on back to the hangar. And then we'll let the other guys who've been covering for you all morning, then they can go. Okay, good deal. So they do that, and they come back. The guys that, that are assigned to the hangar come back walking into the hangar. 
Roberts goes into the transient line shack. Uh, one guy goes into uh, to the office where he's kind of the the uh, yeoman for the for the maintenance boss. And uh, Holland goes to his chief and he says, "Well, you need to get get up in the wheel well, up in the in the nose gear wheel well, and and do some work up there." I, I think he was putting a uh, the landing light bracket back on. I think they they had to take it loose and they were remounting that. And he'd been up. They'd been back from Chow about 15 minutes, and Roberts hears his pop, and he comes running around and he sees that the the, the wheel is partially collapsed. And he uh, Gary is conscious. He, he says, "Gary, you know, he actually." Could talk a little bit, but he's being crushed, and his air's coming out. So every time he takes a breath, you know, his, uh, he's he's being crushed a little further because he's it's like a this nose gear is is closing up on him. The strut's closing in on him like a nutcracker. So here goes uh, Roberts runs away to go tell somebody. Another guy runs up and doesn't see Roberts, and he thinks that he's the first one. And he goes. So, so two guys report that, you know, in the confusion of the moment, that they were the first ones there. Anyway, they get they get involved in a big uh, flap here. Uh, there are there are three or four different reports. Maybe there's as many as five different reports that get done uh, later. This this young man Holland will die. They get him out after about 45 minutes, but uh, he had hypoxia and, and uh, he was brain dead. And they pulled the plug on him, took him off the ventilator uh, around midnight. But they did get him out and they did get him breathing again. Roberts actually is in a photograph uh, helping lower the basket down, helping the Navy corpsman lower the basket uh, with um, the stretcher with. Uh, with Gary in it, but you can't see his face. You can only see him in, in profile. You see his you see his back and his side. There were 400 photographs taken by two, uh, two or three naval photographers' mates, and the index goes over 400. Um, I think at at Robert's criminal trial they'll they'll produce like two or three photographs, but. They never gave him all the photographs. We have a concern that the rest of the photographs they probably got, and then they shredded them, so we're not, we'll never see them now. Oh. Roberts has been trying to get the these reports, these various reports, and he's been trying to get them for a long time now. Uh, years later, Roberts filed a claim for pension. And then... Uh, the service officer, the county service officer, said to him, "Well, you know, something's wrong with you. I mean, you've been drinking, and you you've been just a heller. You know what what went on in the navy? Something happened in the navy that bothered you, or whatever." And he says, "Well, you know, they illegally took these jacks out front of this aircraft, and and, and my friend got killed. And they shouldn't have." Well, maybe that's it. Maybe that's what's bugging you. I don't know. You know, maybe he got PTSD from that, something. But they had filed, so he files this this PTSD claim. But if that, but prior to that, he had a pension claim going. He'd had a heart attack. Like I think he was only forty-seven or something. He had this heart attack, and uh, 
he had all these other health issues going on, and so he was he was down and he he wasn't able to work and and he'd filed a pension. And so this thing progresses along till after about a ten year fight, he he finally uh, gets a hundred percent service co- connected disability for his PTSD. Now here's the thing. He was there, you know, when his friend died, and and when the uh, when the officers and warrant officers got um, there was a, a number of guys that wanted to take the high low, take a take the uh, the high reach uh, forklift, jam the tine into the uh, into the ray dome, and lift it up and drop that thing down and get Gary out real quick, and. Uh, the lieutenant commander who was there said, don't do that, you'll further injure the admiral's aircraft. Now, of course, this is Vietnam, this is the draft, and, you know, young people are showing up at the Navy recruiting office every every morning, so that works good, right? You just get yourself a new boy. Um It actually happens that Station 14, the 14th rib of that aircraft is the jacking point. It is a forged aluminum, drop forged aluminum or something. It's a real strong, that's where that radome mounts in, is a real strong uh, aluminum casting uh, ring. And that's the point, the sling point. There's a there's a place where you put the eye bolt in if you're going to pick it up with a crane from the top. And there's a place down below where you put jacks in. This is the you know this is the strong point, and what the guy was saying is, look, you just run in there and you put the 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 tip of the of the of the uh, fork of the of the forklift right right there, and just just pull it up, folks. You know, we only need about six inches, and we'll get him out of there. And that was vetoed by the officer, senior officer on site. That I understand was a big. Uh, um, bone of contention, and there were a lot of arguments about that in the officer's wardroom uh, after that. But what they did is what they did, and what they did is put airbags in and inflate them and pussyfoot around, it took 45 minutes to get him out instead of instead of four minutes to get him out. When Roberts saw him, the first thing Roberts did was went out and told the the guys in the equipment yard, which were just outside the hangar, to bring in the high low, so they had it in there. They had it sitting right there, and they wouldn't let him. Wouldn't let him do it. Wouldn't let him use it. And so Roberts says he went nuts, and a couple of of uh, Marines grabbed him and dragged him away. Now there were later on. You're going to see when they when the VAOIG does a report on this, they said, "Well, I talked to everybody, and you know, we I talked to the officer that wrote the report, and he talked to everybody in the incident." And, and in the VAOIG report, there's about 20 interviews. Later on in court, people will testify that there were over 200 people there. The general alarm had sounded, you know, like the like the air raid siren, and everybody had come a running. They actually sent a vehicle over to the barracks and got all the guys that were that were off watch. They woke them up and put them in the in the trucks and buses and brought them over. Had everybody there. It was a big deal. I mean, the the shore patrol and the Marines had to, you know, form a ring, keep everybody back, so that the guys could work. 
is a big deal. And there's 350 uniformed personnel on Naval Air Facility Naples, but there's a lot of civilians work there, too, and contractors, so there was more than that. You know, there were there were a lot of people work there. You know, it was just, well, there were only 300 people in the whole place. Well, those are uniformed people. So maybe there were twice that many, you know. Maybe there were six, 700 people total that worked around that place. In any event, uh, Gary dies. In December, Roberts is, is uh, off the rails, and, and he... Uh, He's been drinking, and he's he's really flipped out. And they take him to the Naval Hospital, and they have to put him in a straitjacket and, and shoot him up with Thorazine to sedate him. And the psychiatrists have said, the 16 VA psychiatrists who says he has PTSD from this, all said that that second event is also you know, is 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 also a, a PTSD stressor, and what's interesting is that's the first thing that he ever claimed. He didn't understand the connection between Gary Holland's death and his PTSD, but he understood the straitjacket and the psychotic episode and the counseling that he had in in early 1970. He understood those things indicated that he had some mental trouble in service and that they're in his service records. So they would be classified as a stressor also? Well, read read Judge Hagel's dissent in the Roberts opinion. Because mm-hmm. exactly. And here's the thing. Here's the here's the whole lesson from Roberts. Here's where the law stands now, folks. Let it, it's a cautionary tale. Roberts is a cautionary tale. Here's the little theory of the VA IG that they're being allowed to promulgate around VA land. And this is that case of the, the guy who was the, uh, the mayor of Atlantic City that they prosecuted in federal court. Took his PTSD away. They said, well... You said you did some things with the Green Berets, and we we talked to them, and they said they didn't do that. Uh, the Green Berets did a lot of things that they were told to do, and they were told not to talk about it. So they won't talk about it to you. So just because you go and ask them something and they won't give you an answer doesn't mean it didn't happen. It means they're not talking today to you. But the point is, the guy was out there. His records clear. You know, he spent the guy spent a year in Vietnam. I think he did two tours in Vietnam. And then they say, well, he doesn't have PTSD because we went and talked to somebody, and they said that that. Uh, so what we have now here, folks, this is what I call Roberts. Roberts is the big fish story jurisprudence of the VA OIG. So if you're down at the at the VFW. And you've had a couple beers, and you've been out fishing, and you're hot, and you're kind of not feeling real good. And somebody asks you, uh, you know, what day you got to Vietnam, and and you say the wrong day, that the VAIG can take that and turn that into benefits fraud and take all your benefits away because you lied. Oh, my. That's what they did to Roberts. I asked a question of the court during oral argument. I said, the VA has never demonstrated 
that Mr. Roberts wasn't stationed at Naval Air Facility Naples, Italy. They've never demonstrated that he wasn't on duty that day. In other words, he was stationed there. He was on duty. They've never shown him being in sick bay. They've never shown him being AWOL. And they've never shown him being TDY or being on leave. That means he was in that hangar because that was his duty station. And because he was the guy on duty in the transient line shack, which is the first responder for, for a nose gear collapse on an aircraft, had he not been there and responded, he would have received at least an Article 15 and probably a court-martial. But he didn't. So what this VAIG approach to PTSD fraud is, is they make you prove everything, prove a negative. They make you prove everything that, that nobody ever asked you to prove before. They make you prove things way beyond the standard for post-traumatic stress disorder. But they attacked, he's got two stressors, okay, and they attack one. Now, my theory of it is, and the theory from the NVLSP that represented Keith early on in this, and the American Legion, Phil Wilkerson, was, well, we've got two stressors that are valid, and you take one away, and, oh, I think we still have PTSD here. What's the other problem? He has a diagnosis of anxiety, NOS, not PTSD, but anxiety in the service. Well, then, don't need PTSD, don't need a stressor, shown in service. So give us our benefits for anxiety NOS, and we'll all, go, we'll all be happy and go down the road whistling. So the problem you have is you're allowing the VAIG to come in to the middle of something and just do basically anything they want to do. Now, let, let's walk through this Roberts thing further to see how they did this. So Roberts fights and fights, and he finally gets his benefits. He's got 100%, but he's fighting for an earlier effective date. He claims that when he first filed his first claim back in 71 or 72, that this stuff was all in his Navy records and that he should have been paid for it then. And he's always had these problems. And if not then, then certainly in, in 1987 when he came in and filed his pension claim. Because when he filed his pension claim, he'd had this heart attack, and his doctor was talking about his anxiety as being the cause of his heart attack at such a young age. Okay? So he does have some arguments for a 1987 effective date. He, he won a Q claim, and he got his effective date backed up from 1992, I think, to 1990. Okay? But that's where he stood when all this mess started. Now... He'd had a hearing before a DRO. He gets the transcript back. The transcript is not verbatim. The transcript is, is inaccurate. It is wrong. We've all seen them. Okay. Then he said, okay, send it back. He complains about it. They send it back, do it over again. It comes back, and it's they fix some things, and they screw some other things up. He said, look, he thought that there were maybe a couple of pages missing. And so he said, come on, you know, I want a transcript of the hearing. 
So now he gets mad, and he calls the VAOIG in Washington, and he says, they're, they're, they're altering, they're playing around with the transcript of my hearing, they're, and they're, they're taking records out of my file. This is VA Regional Office Milwaukee taking, taking documents out of claimants' claims files. That remind does that remind you of something, guys? Have you heard it? Oh, Shreddergate. Shreddergate. Well, this is the first shot fired in Shreddergate. And later in the VA OIG report, not done by these two guys that beat up on Roberts, I don't think, uh they they put Milwaukee uh way up on the the in the Hall of Shame as one of the offices definitely uh shredding hundreds if not thousands of pages of evidence that were supposed to go in the claims files. Definitely. Milwaukee. So Roberts is kind of the first guy who's blowing the whistle on on this Shreddergate issue. Now, if you are a whistleblower in a federal matter, you're supposed to be protected. And even though Roberts is not an employee whistleblower, uh, the Administrative Procedures Act provides that beneficiaries who blow the whistle are also protected just like an employee. But he didn't know that, and he didn't get those the benefit of those protections. Okay. So he gets in touch with Vassal, who's this uh, VAOIG inspector, down in Chicago. And this is a good point where we this is a point where we can explain that that the the inspectors general of the departments and the US Department of Veterans Affairs uh is mandated to have an office of inspector general. Uh the inspector general inspectors general are just like the military IGs. They see that things are being done by the book and they look for fraud, waste, and abuse. However, inspectors general are not law enforcement officers. They're not cops. They're not police. And they don't do police work. They they detect fraud. And then they have to hand it over to the relevant law enforcement agency. Okay, so I'm reading now from a from a, a re- dated August 13, 2004, from the Department of Veterans Affairs Office of the Inspector General, and this is a this is a report on workers' compensation. Okay. And these guys, uh, uh, the the IG, they're they're not they're not law enforcement officers. They're not you know they're not cops. They they do they do audits. Um, I guess this is the, the wrong. Uh, 
A highly suitable motive would be to increase the IG's capacity to initiate civil fraud investigations for workers' compensation cases where warranted. The standards for proof for civil fraud are more advantageous and VA could recoup treble damages under civil fraud statutes. Okay, they're asking for that, right? Criminal fraud investigations may conduct be conducted only by authorized law enforcement agencies. That's Michael Staley, Assistant Inspector General for Auditing of the VA in an official report to Congress dated August 13, 2004. And they have sent thousands of veterans to prison. Running all over the country, acting like police. And then while, uh, as soon as they get the regional office to take the benefits away, they run over and find the these uh, assistant uh, these uh, United States attorneys, and they convince these guys to to indict and prosecute these veterans. That's the Atlantic City case. That's Roberts. Well, what's the problem with that? The problem with that is that in the Roberts case, the only people that ever looked at this were the VAIG people. The FBI never investigated. Treasury never investigated. He was originally indicted for mail fraud. And when the uh, Milwaukee office of the postal inspectors got wind of it, they must have, have run straight over at 100 miles an hour to the to the U.S. attorney and asked him what was going on. And the next thing we know, Roberts is being called back in, and the uh, the mail fraud indictment is being dropped, and it's being replaced with wire fraud. Now, remember, the federal government across the board has asked all beneficiaries, has commanded all beneficiaries, to have electronic fund transfers. They don't want to mail checks because checks get stolen out of out of the post box, right? These thieves know when payday is for Social Security and VA, and and they watch, and then they either rob the letter carriers or they they go in and uh, go into the mailboxes before people can get out there and steal their checks. So to stop that, they started doing electronic fund transfers, and your money comes straight in. Social Security and VA have mandated that that be done. They won't even they they won't even set it up to send you a check in the mail anymore. The Social Security attorneys say, "Hey, we don't prosecute anybody for wire fraud. We prosecute people for benefits fraud." And they have I think five different statutes and they have a statute for each kind of a situation. In other words, they have a statute. If you are the beneficiary and you you lie to get benefits, they have a statute. If if you're a kid and you lie and say you're going to college when you're really not going to college, they have one. If one of these payees, uh, uh, these fiduciaries, is is getting money and they're stealing it from the veteran, they have one to prosecute them. And they also say we prosecute under. Title 18, United States Code 1001. And you guys know the language of 1001 because it's the little fine print that's on the VA Form 214138. That's that 
that's that information, you know, that, uh, you know, I'm, I swear that everything I say below is true, you know. 18 U.S.C. 1001 is that, um, uh, is making a material misrepresentation of fact, lying, okay. That's what it is. Roberts was never charged with that. He was only charged with wire fraud. So here's the theory of the federal case, guys. The regional office took Roberts' benefits away from him. He appealed to the board. And before he even got to the BVA, they indicted him in federal district court. Okay, and by the way, uh, December 12, 2003, the VAIG got his original claims file out of the regional office. And to our knowledge, it's never been returned. And before they let it go, they made a photocopy. And when his claim was adjudicated before the board, it was a photocopy. And when his case was adjudicated before the Veterans Court, it was with a photocopy. Now, you've all had your hands around various VA records, and what's what's annoying about them? Well, I mean, They're double-sided. They're double-sided, and you're always flipping them up and flipping around and looking at it. And some of the what, what's on the what's on the back side of the VA nine form, the appeal to the board. I'd be page two. Page two, more space to write, isn't it? Yeah. And Roberts had written a big, long, handwritten thing on his appeal to the board, talking all about that December 1969 stressor. Well, who? Who uh, put the complaint in about Roberts? And what was the purpose of the I as mean, near how as, did this all come about? As near as we can tell, John Baker, the regional office director at the VARO Milwaukee, turned it in. And, of course, he knew that he was going straight from the mailroom to the shredder box with thousands of pages of of evidence every day. So maybe he, you know, maybe he wanted to, Make sure that that he shut Roberts up. Getting a little too close to the truth here. Huh. Well, uh, when they come back and they exonerate Roberts, won't they look into uh, possibly uh, 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 what would this be? Slanders? Well, yeah. There's there's remedy. But here's the main thing that Keith wants. Okay. He wants the VA to start following rules that all the other agencies in the federal government follow that are set forth by Congress in Title 31. You know, like I say, they've got these uh, 38 CFR 42.1 regulations in there. They just won't follow them. They ignore them. We sent a FOIA, and we said, in the last four years, and this was over that time when Roberts was, was fighting with them, uh, we said, during the, the, the previous four years here, um, how many times have you guys had a, a Title V administrative law judge preside over uh, a benefits fraud hearing? And the answer came back, zero. Now, something else in the Roberts case at trial. We're up at the Veterans Court. And I had said, you know, 
there was never a review by this by the VA Regional Council. There was never a review by this by VA General Council. The IG detects the fraud. They're supposed to then take it to the attorneys, just like cops and prosecutors, okay? A cop doesn't get to go over to the courthouse and get the judge to to set you for trial, right? The prosecutors do that. Yeah. So the the cops think they've got a case. You see it on the on the TV shows and the movies all the time. We think we got a good case and we've got enough for a search warrant and everything. And what do they say? No probable cause. You got to get me something more. You haven't got enough here. Now the probable cause in the Roberts case was that Mr. Vassal reviewed the file and he thought that there were inconsistencies in the file. Inconsistencies. Inconsistencies are not probable cause to believe a crime has been committed. Inconsistencies are inconsistencies. And if you come to me as a as a prosecutor and ask me uh, for, an, for a warrant, an arrest warrant or a search warrant, and all you've got is inconsistencies, I'm going to throw you out of my office. Remember, the veteran's claims file is part of what? It's part of the benefits adjudication. And and what is that? That's an ex parte system, right? No rules of evidence, non-adversarial, claimant-friendly system. <laughs> okay, but that's what the courts have said, and that's what it's supposed to be. That's how it's designed. Forget how it works. That's how it's that's how it's supposed to be. Now, so when you take that file and then use it as evidence, and by the way, the file was never presented in evidence at the trial, at the criminal trial. And by the way, Mr. Vassell's report, which was used to get Roberts indicted, was not, uh, not permitted to be entered into evidence by the judge. Huh. Now, what Vassell did is he was able to obtain... Uh, the report, the the simple report, the original, the initial report from the Navy, and all that is is a report. It's a it's a death incident report, and all it's used for. It's a very low level report, and all they're trying to do is establish that this young man was killed, this this service member was killed, and he it was not willful misconduct. And by I'm the way, sorry, that only, gets back. We only have 15 seconds left. Oh, I'm 15 sorry. seconds? Yeah. On my land. Uh, sorry about that. I appreciate you coming on. This thing shuts off real quick. Yeah, okay, guys. You, you, uh, uh, we'll, we'll get back to it later. We'll report in after we get back from Washington. Okay, thanks a lot, Bob. We'll be looking forward to having you back on again. It's a real complex issue. Thank you. There is. Yeah, bye-bye. Thanks, Bob. Uh, and uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's the Gerald Cook with her uh, uh, co-host uh, Jay Basser will be uh, signing off for now. <laughs>